Adam Zeman is a professor of cognitive and behavioral neurology at the University of Exeter. And he, he has done extensive study on the phenomenon of amnesia and memory loss and their relationship to epilepsy. In an interview with BBC Three Radio, he, he talked about two of his patients named Peter and Marcus who described their amnesia and their experience of forgetting in eerily similar terms. One of them said, my memory of the past is a blank space. I, I feel lost and hopeless, like I'm trying to explore a void. Both of them described the disconcerting nature of looking at photos. Even though they recognize themselves in the pictures, they have no recollection of the moment that was captured on film. One said it's like reading a biography of a stranger. He's conscious of recent memories slipping away from him like ships sailing out to sea in the fog, never to be seen again. Now, according to Dr. Zeman, two things stand out to him about his findings through his research. First, he said, without memory, it's hard to cling to an identity. Without memory, it's hard to cling to an identity. One of the patients said, I don't have the moorings that other people draw on to know who they are. Second, he said it's hard to have hope when we don't know our past. It's hard to have hope when we don't know our past. As he explained, the inability to invoke the past greatly impedes our ability to imagine a future. The inability to invoke the past greatly impedes our ability to imagine a future. You know, Proverbs chapter 28, verse 18 says, For a lack of vision, or for a lack of revelation, for a lack of vision, people cast off restraint. We, we generally interpret that passage of Scripture as looking ahead. We look to the future, and indeed there is an element of that. If there's an aim that we're striving for or some tantalizing goal we long to achieve, we're much more likely to embrace the rigors of pursuit if we have a vision of the future, if we have some idea of where we want to go. But there's more to that Scripture as Zeman's study revealed, we also need to have a clear vision of the building blocks of our past if we hope to arrive at our preferred destiny. Now, as the patients in Dr. Zeman's study noted, knowing our past secures our identity and ultimately gives shape to our future. Knowing our past secures our identity and gives shape to our future. We, we've been talking about our identity of late. Our identity based on a declaration that Jesus made 
in the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew chapter 5 verse 13 records what he told those who were gathered around him that day. He told them, you are the salt of the earth. That's your identity. You are the salt of the earth. But if salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. From God's perspective, those who have faith in Jesus Christ are the salt of the earth. That's our identity. And listen, that identity is never in jeopardy. If you're a follower of Jesus, you are the salt of the earth. We are who he says we are. Our status as salt is secure. However, our saltiness, which is that quality that makes us effective as salt, is another matter altogether. Our capacity to add flavor to life and to preserve it from decay can be compromised. We can lose our saltiness. We know that our enemy working through the organized forces of chaos and evil never rests in his aim of diluting our saltiness. And one of his most effective tools is to lead us to forget. To forget who we are and the story of how we came to be. For the task of becoming salty again, we need, in the words of Dr. Zeman's patients, moorings. We need anchors to secure us firmly to our past. God has actually provided those anchors. They are rites of remembrance that connect us to our past, that nurture our hope to the future, and in the process, safeguard our saltiness. Those rites of remembrance we call ordinances. They are the ordinances of the body of Christ. An ordinance is a religious rite obediently practiced as a memorial. It is a religious rite obediently practiced as a memorial, something to help us remember what? What Christ did for us. They are called ordinances because they are orders. They are called ordinances because they are orders. Jesus ordered us to participate in these rites of remembrance so to assist us in rightly remembering his past work in creating our new identity. Ordinances help us rightly remember what he did to establish our new identity. Now, Jesus instituted two ordinances, one that we witnessed today and one we're going to participate in. They are baptism and the Lord's Supper. Both ordinances, both of them are symbolic anchors that Jesus commanded us to participate in. Why? Why do we need to do participate in these ordinances? The, the first reason is that it's easy to forget our 
passed. And the ordinances in the presence of the Holy Spirit are designed to ward off our forgetfulness. That they are visible, the ordinances are visible depictions of the truth of the gospel enacted with predictably repetitious precision. We do the same thing every time. Now, why do we need such a visible reminder? Because the people of God frequently misremember the transformative events of our past. We forget what Christ did. We change the meaning of what he did ever so slightly, and that contaminates the truth and the significance of those events. One striking example in Scripture comes to mind. It's one of my favorite stories. It unfolds in uh, Numbers chapter 21. And if you know anything about the Israelites, they, as after they left Egypt, they spent lots of time wandering around in the wilderness on their way to the promised land. And along the way, they were given to bouts of complaining as they wandered miserably through the wilderness. On one occasion, God's long-suffering patience with them was pushed to the breaking point, and it triggered his righteous wrath. He sent fiery serpents among the people. The idea was that they needed to understand the sin of complaining, especially about his provision And so these fiery serpents were sent to quell their complaining. And when they were among the people, they bit some of them, and many of them died, the Scripture says. So they came to Moses, and they said, Moses, do something. Please ask God to take away those serpents. Moses said, sure, he prayed for the people to God. But God didn't take the serpents away. Do you remember what he did? He instructed Moses to to create a bronze serpent and put it on a pole. And the instructions were to put the pole in the middle of camp. And then whenever anyone was bitten by the consequences of their sin, complaining, those snakes, they were to look at the pole and they would be healed. They would be saved. Now, what happened with that statue? Well, after the event, the Israelites said, this is amazing. We've got to remember what happened here. So they preserved it. They carried it with them wherever they went. Why? So they would remember the lesson. But over the centuries... Stories and legends grew around that artifact. And by the time of King Hezekiah, that bronze serpent on a pole had become an idol for the people of Israel. They they literally were making offerings to the statue. But Hezekiah did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. And in 2 Kings 18.4, the scripture says he broke into pieces the bronze serpent that Moses had made. Why? Because the people were burning incense to it. How did they get so mixed up? They forgot the story. Their actions 
weren't moored or anchored to the truth of the past. Over time, they had forgotten the truth about the bronze serpent. And they just made up stories, legends. And in the end, rather than being a reminder that pointed them to the need for deliverance from sin and to God's grace in providing it, it became an impediment to their fidelity. They worshipped that bronze snake crafted by the hands of Moses instead of the God who delivered them. As you read through the Old Testament, you discover that much of the pain that the Israelites experienced prior to the advent of the Messiah they were searching for was tied to their forgetfulness. Psalm 106, verses 21 and 22, sums up their propensity to forget. Here's what it says. They forgot the God who saved them. Have you ever forgotten? They forgot the God who saved them, who had done great things in Egypt, miracles in the land of Ham, and awesome deeds by the Red Sea. As the salt of the earth, the children of God, their assignment was to bring glory to God and to point pagan nations toward the worship of one, the one true God. But guess what happened? Their shoddy memory severed their anchors to the past. And they forgot who and whose they were. They lost their identity. They weren't sure what to do. They couldn't see a picture of their future. So... Before Jesus died on the cross and ascended into heaven, he instituted these rites of remembrance, these ordinances, that when practiced in the church, by the church, they embed the truth of the gospel, the fact that Christ finished work on the cross, saves us from the due penalty of our sins. Baptism, the first ordinance, is a depiction, literally a depiction of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. We show that picture because it is through his death, burial, and resurrection that we have victory over sin and death. Romans 6.4 says this, we were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. We practice baptism by immersion because it is the truest picture of his burial and resurrection. He died on the cross. He was buried in a tomb, 
but through the power of God, he was raised from the dead. And when by faith we identify with him, we obediently then follow in baptism so we can tell the story of what he did to establish new life for us. It is a depiction of the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. That's why we say every time that someone is baptized, buried with Christ in baptism, and raised to walk in a new way of life, it is a picture that through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, he did away with the old and he ushered in the new. He stepped out of eternity and into time and identified with us. As a matter of fact, one day in his journey, he got in line with all the other people being baptized with John the Baptist to say, I am with you. And then when we place our faith in Jesus, we are baptized to say, I am with him. It is an outward sign of an inward reality, a heart that is committed to the one who died for us. The Lord's Supper is not a visible depiction of the death, burial, and resurrection. Rather, the Lord's Supper or communion is a tangible reminder of the significance of his death on the cross. The Lord's Supper tells us why he did what he did. Listen to the words of Paul from 1 Corinthians chapter 11. He says, for I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, the night before he died on the cross, took bread. And when he had given thanks for God's provision of that bread, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. The breaking of Jesus' body, his suffering, happened when God poured out his wrath against sin his suffering, the breaking of his body, brings us peace. The shedding of Jesus' innocent blood was the pure blood that brought an end to the sacrificial system once and for all. His blood offered on our behalf for the forgiveness of our sins. So, the Lord Jesus died voluntarily to liberate us from the law of sin and death. The Lord instructed us to remember his death. This do in remembrance of me. He wanted us to remember the circumstances in which he died unjustly on the cross for all sinners and he wanted us to remember the amazing grace that frees us 
to be at peace with God. Listen, it was the blood of one for the freedom of all who would believe. Listen, that, that's what we need to remember. That it's God's grace that we celebrate when we take communion. Participation in the Lord's Supper doesn't depend upon our perfection. Just our recognition of need. Jesus died for us and we celebrate it because we are needy, because we are permanently stained by sin and we need to be cleansed from unrighteousness. His recognition of the need of our forgiveness compelled him to the cross. So the celebration of communion is for those of us who believe. For those of us who have chosen to accept God's gracious gift of forgiveness for sins by trusting in the way to forgiveness. Jesus is the way. We, we don't take communion lightly. We ask God to help us understand the gravity of his sacrifice, to remember what was going on. And we reverently celebrate our peace that required his death. Our peace required his death. So today we celebrate the freedom that we have in God's grace. Will you pray with me? Father, we say thank you. Thank you for meeting our greatest need. For while we were yet sinners, living in rebellion against you, Christ died for us. His body was broken when the wrath of sin was poured out on him. Your righteous wrath declaring justice against evil. We thank you that he took that punishment willingly for us. We're thankful, Lord, that his blood was shed because we know that without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness for sins. Today, Lord, as we partake of the Lord's Supper, remind us of the price that was paid to make us children of God. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. As Paul said, the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, 
he broke it. And he said, this is my body. It's a symbol of my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Lord, we are grateful that he submitted his body to the cross to stand in our place and receive the punishment that we deserve. Help us remember his suffering on behalf of our peace. In Christ's name I pray. The scripture goes on to say that in the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. The old covenant required continual sacrifice in the temple, but the new covenant was established around the fact that this was the Lamb of God, the final sacrifice. This cup is the new covenant in my blood, do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Jesus, we're thankful that your blood cleanses us from unrighteousness and makes us clean. Again, Lord, help us to remember so that we can proclaim the truth of the gospel to a world searching for peace. In Jesus' name I pray.